Before we look into God's Word today, I need to make an announcement about a recent staff change. You may have noticed the last few weeks Dr. Alton Merrill hasn't been on the platform. Alton is no longer a part of our team and our worship department. I think you would agree with me, Alton is a world-class musician and a delightful brother in the Lord, and he made wonderful contributions to our uh, music and worship ministry and left it better than he found it. And we just wish nothing but God's very best for him in his future endeavors. He's getting married in July, so a number of changes in his life, and I'm sure he would appreciate your prayers as he goes through all of those adjustments. Well, now today we're going to continue our year-long study of the New Testament book of Acts. And just to remind you, we've entitled the study, Eternity in Their Hearts, because our intent is to discover what people look like, how they act, and how they think once they begin to understand the eternity that God has placed within their hearts, the longings that God has hardwired into their soul. Today's passage reminds us that the book of Acts, like the rest of Scripture, is not an airbrushed, photoshopped publicity piece intended to make God's people look as if they're perfect. (laughs) Quite the opposite. The book of Acts is an honest read. It makes no attempt to hide the fact that the early church often struggled to align their lives with God in a consistent fashion. More importantly, today's passage reveals why that was the case and how God graciously responded. Acts 10 is a prime example of God getting people back on track. And verses 34 and 35 record Peter's summary after he realized what God was trying to tell him. Peter said, I most certainly understand now that God is not one to show partiality, but in every nation the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. Today we're going to talk about agendas, and my title is Agenda Adjustment. Let's look to the Lord together in prayer. Father, in these coming moments, I pray that your Holy Spirit will enable me to do what I could never do on my own, to faithfully declare your truth. And I pray that your Holy Spirit would help every one of us to understand as much of it as we can in this moment and then to apply it with the strength that you provide. We want to be growing in grace and in our knowledge of you so that we're better positioned to bless your heart and be a blessing to a broken world. So, Spirit of the living God, lead us, teach us, empower us, change us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. And as we listen for God through His Word today, may the Lord be with you. Have you noticed that where God's will is concerned, Jesus' followers sometimes say one thing and do another? And you thought it was just you. No, it's not just you. All of us struggle in that regard. We say that we want to do God's will, and we're sincere when we say that. 
But it doesn't keep us from frequently acting in ways that are contrary to his will, contrary to clear written biblical instructions. Now, when that happens, it can be the product of hypocrisy or pride or covert rebellion, but I suspect more often than not, it's simply the product of bad alignment. A few years ago, I had difficulty with recurring pains in my lower back and in my left leg. And if you've ever been there, you know that's not a lot of fun. And a staff member suggested that I visit a Northside chiropractor who had been of great help to him. So I made an appointment, and for the next several months, I went in once a week as he aligned my spine and showed me exercises to maintain that alignment. And my pain went away, and it hasn't returned. And I'm not giving you his name because this is not an unpaid endorsement. (laughs) Now, Acts records a time when Peter's thinking and Peter's conduct was out of alignment with God's clearly stated agenda. And Peter wasn't alone. Many of his fellow Jewish believers in Jerusalem suffered from the same bad alignment. And that should remind us that even devoted followers of Jesus may need agenda adjustment because our preferences, and we all have them, can easily get in the way of God's plans. Now, the word agenda has Latin roots. It simply means things to be done. And many times we use that word to refer to a written plan for a meeting, the meeting agenda, the things we want to get done. Now, agendas have something in common with navels and opinions. Everybody has one. Everybody has an agenda. Your agenda reveals what it is that you value, what it is that you desire in your life, when you want to attain it, how you plan to attain it. Our agendas determine who we see as allies and who we see as adversaries. Our agendas determine when we see adversity and when we see opportunity. So agendas aren't evil. Agendas are necessary. After all, the Bible is all about God's agenda in a broken world. Love God, love your neighbor is an agenda. Make disciples of all people groups is an agenda. So agendas are necessary. But as we're going to see in our example today, God's agenda can sometimes be hijacked by human culture, by past conditioning, and by sin in our life. God's agenda can be stymied by societal influences, religious traditions, political influences, ethnic divisions, and economic concerns. God's agenda can be taken prisoner by past experiences, past pains, and current fears. God's agenda can be impeded by human pride, and worse, human hatred. God's agenda can be foiled by faulty biblical interpretation, and it could be hampered even where the Holy Spirit is active as he was in that early Jerusalem church. 
And the reality is we don't always recognize when that's happening in our life. Now, Jesus didn't mumble when he revealed God's agenda. He was very, very clear. You are to go and make disciples of all people groups, teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded you. God's church was to witness to all people everywhere. But despite that clear instruction, despite the Spirit in their midst, and despite a handful of conversions to the contrary, Peter and most of his buds in the early church struggled to accept God's agenda. Centuries of ingrained prejudice and hatred and suspicion had convinced them that God's restoration was for all Jewish people everywhere. Their agenda didn't include Gentiles. Now, how did they get there? Were they bad people? No. Here's why they struggled. From the call of Abraham to the day of Pentecost, God's truth had been entrusted to one group of people, the Hebrew people the descendants of Abraham. God had raised them up in a world filled with counterfeit spiritual beliefs so that he could teach them his exclusive truth and then one day send them out to proclaim that truth. But while he was teaching them that truth, while he was preparing them for their mission, He had to protect them against all those counterfeit spiritualities and influences. So all throughout the Old Testament, God commanded a rigid separation from Gentiles and other people. God didn't want them to pick up pagan habits. It would jeopardize the whole endeavor. And that separation was aimed at protecting them and protecting the message and preparing them for the day of proclamation. That separation was never intended to be permanent. Once they got the message, once they were ready to reveal and proclaim the message, then a new agenda was to kick into gear. But by the time that new agenda came, God's previous instructions had done their work very, very well. The walls of separation between Jews and Gentiles were high and rigid and strong. So it was going to take a very, very clear signal from God in order to change their agenda. And all of that reminds us that we sometimes attach our devotion to God's past agenda instead of attaching it to God himself. You can fall so much in love with what God did in the past that you miss God in the present and miss God in the future. And that's what happened with these folks. They had attached their loyalty to the law and to the sacrifices and to the holy days and to the feasts and to the priesthood and the temple. Now, all of those things were designed to prepare the way for Christ. Once Christ came and accomplished his mission, those things were to be set aside. But they couldn't set them aside that easily. 
They had forgotten something that we often forget. Some pieces of God's agenda in your life aren't permanent. They're meant to prepare you for what comes next. Not everything God's doing in you right now is going to be his agenda for you 10 years from now because he's preparing you for 10 years from now. And sometimes the preparation is going to be different than the application. And if we aren't careful, we can allow God's past work in us to hinder his present and future work in us. Churches do that all the time. Now, when that happens, whether it's in a church or in us individually, change doesn't come easily. So in Peter's case, God provoked the church to abandon its misguided agenda and adopt his missionary agenda. And provoke is the right word. God started by confronting the church's foremost leader, and that would be Peter. And that was no easy task. Getting Peter to change was like getting a pit bull to let go of a big raw steak. Change came slowly to Peter, and it never came easily. For him to adjust his agenda would take some time, would take some subtle suggestions, and finally, one big shove. Now, God had previously used Peter to minister salvation and healing along the Mediterranean coast, and there had been some response from Gentiles, and that provoked Peter to do something we hate to do. It provoked him to rethink his prejudices. Have you noticed? We don't like to rethink our prejudices. We like to just rearrange them, but hold on to them and call that being open-minded. So Peter began to rethink his prejudices, but he wasn't really all that interested in the exercise. But something was happening. Because at the end of chapter 9 we find Peter in a place he previously never would have been found. He was staying at the home of Simon, who was a tanner of animal hides. Now, what's significant about that? Well, Orthodox Judaism, Old Covenant Judaism, strictly prohibited any association with anybody who worked with dead animals. Simon worked with dead animals. But Simon had become a follower of Jesus. And as Simon was working with his skins, God was getting under Peter's theological skin. And he was making him think outside of his neat theological boxes. So here he is in the house of Simon, probably not feeling all that comfortable, but there he was nonetheless. Well, one day, while he's staying there at noon, he goes up to the flat house of the home to pray, only to discover that God's answers to prayer are often disruptive. God uses his answers to adjust our agendas when all we really want when we pray is affirmation of our agenda. God, make my agenda work. And God responds, how about we kick it to the curb entirely and give you a new one? Lord, that's not what I said. Should I repeat myself? And he says, should I repeat myself? I can play this game as long as you want. God had a plan for his stubborn apostle. 
Because while he's on the roof, Peter got hungry. Now, this was in the time before microwave ovens. There were no hot pockets then. So it was going to take a while for the folks downstairs to prepare lunch. So while Peter's waiting, he falls into this trance-like sleep. And during his unplanned sleep, God's plan began to unfold because God gave him a vision. He showed him a large sheet containing all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds. Now, many of those creatures had been strictly forbidden for human consumption under the old covenant. So imagine Peter's shock and dismay when in the vision God said, pick anything you like and eat up. Now obviously that vision was symbolic. God's focus was on the Peter or the people that Peter should love. It was not on the food that Peter should eat. But Peter didn't get that right away, so how did he respond? No way, Jose. That's a loose translation, but it's accurate. I have never. You know, when you're talking to God, let me suggest that you never say, I have never. Because usually God's about to have you do it. So what did God do? He repeated his directions three times. Peter's magical number. Right? How many times did he deny Jesus? Three times. How many times after his resurrection did Jesus say, Peter, do you love me? Three times. How many times did God state this vision? Three times. I think Peter was getting the idea. What was God doing? He was deconstructing all of his past conditioning and his old agenda. So here he is wrestling with what this vision means, and as he's wrestling with it, three messengers stop at Simon's house looking for Peter. They had been sent by a Roman career soldier. He was a devout follower of God, but he didn't have knowledge of Jesus and his death and his resurrection and the new covenant. His name was Cornelius. And one day when he was praying, God spoke to him and said, you need to send for that guy named Peter. And it reminds us that when your heart is open to God's agenda, you'll begin to experience divine connections. Stuff will start to happen, and it won't be pure coincidence. Now, this connection was going to be initially troubling, not for Cornelius, but for Peter, because Peter's idea of the church did not include Roman soldiers. From the time of his birth, Roman soldiers symbolized everything wrong in Peter's world. They were the conquerors. They were the oppressors. They were the ones who taxed his people. They took away their freedom. They took away their autonomy. They were often cruel. He remembered them crucifying Jesus. His vision of the church didn't include Roman soldiers. Are there some people that your vision of the church doesn't include? But Peter knew the arrival of these visitors right on the heels of his vision couldn't be coincidental. Do coincidences happen in life? Yes. 
But when events align perfectly with something that God has already said, then that's more than coincidence. That's God bringing conviction to your heart. That's God adjusting your agenda. So off Peter went towards Caesarea. And as he walked, imagine his confusion. His thoughts had to be tumbling and connecting and disconnecting like socks in a dryer. And where do they disappear to? That's one of the great questions of life. That'll be a topic for another sermon someday. Where do those socks go? And where will they be in the world to come? Peter was confused. But confusion isn't always a bad thing. Temporary confusion is often part of God adjusting our agenda. We've got to get confused before we get God's clarity. Now, by the time Peter arrived, he had started to figure things out. So he told Cornelius, I now realize that nobody is unwelcomed by God. Then he said, why did you send for me? I think he had an idea, but he wanted to hear it. And it's a reminder that agenda adjustment involves listening to something new. Peter had listened to Jewish people all his life. Now he was going to listen to a Roman centurion, a voice that he previously would have excluded from his life. See, if you spend all your time listening to voices that align with your current agenda, you may struggle to hear God's adjustments to that agenda. And God can speak to us through some of the people that would be last on our preferred speaker list. So Peter told Cornelius how God had been adjusting him. Then he explained what Jesus was about, and Cornelius and his entire household were saved. And in a very real sense, so was Peter. Peter was saved from the wrong agenda. Then God confirmed his agenda with signs that Peter could not miss. And his agenda was adjusted in a place where previously he wouldn't have been found dead in the home of a Roman soldier. And God had made it clear that his church isn't a culture club. It's a community of Jesus' followers. Do you know that message still isn't being heard in many places? After all these years, after all these centuries, in far too many places, Jesus' church looks more like a culture club or a political club at prayer than the diverse assembly of Jesus' followers that he intended. Where the nature of his church is concerned, in many places in our nation, the church needs agenda adjustment. Where Jesus is Lord, people of all economies, people of all ethnicities, and people of all political persuasions ought to be able to love one another, worship with one another, 
serve alongside of one another because the Jesus who unites them is bigger than the other temporary things that would divide them. And politics are temporary. Ethnicity. You won't have ethnic divisions in heaven. You won't have ethnic neighborhoods in heaven. Now, my Spanish friends tell me we'll all speak Spanish, and that we'll we'll find out when we get there. (laughs) I'm sure uh, Macho and Erica would affirm that. Yes. But these silly divisions won't exist in heaven. Why do they exist now? They only exist when the church allows God's agenda to be hijacked by politics, by culture, by economy, by ethnicity. God's looking for people who will stand up and say, not here and not on our watch. So for a whole host of reasons, the changes that God wants to make in us are not all accomplished instantly at conversion. Have you noticed that? And they aren't all accomplished in the first few years we follow Jesus. So because of that, we are prone to substitute our preferences, our politics, our economies, our ethnicities, all of those things. We're prone to substitute our preferences for his plans. And as Peter learned, God isn't partial where people are concerned. God's no respecter of persons. The ground is level at the throne of the universe. But God is very partial to his agenda. And while he accepts all kinds of folks, he won't accept all kinds of agendas. He won't allow us to hijack what he's up to in the world. And he won't adjust what he's doing to fit our agenda. He'll adjust us. Because he knows that it's only in carrying out his agenda that we'll be in tune with the eternity he has put within our hearts. So, let me suggest the next time you are praying, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Pause for a moment. Don't don't be so quick to get to on earth as it is in heaven. Don't lose the meaning of the words. Thy will be done done. Let me suggest you pause at that point and say, God, I know it's quite possible I've substituted some of my agenda for yours. And that means in that area I'm not doing your will despite my prayer. Will you please show me where my agenda needs to be adjusted? Now warning, you might not like the answer. Second warning, you probably won't like the answer. Third warning, you can take it to the bank. You're not going to like the answer. (laughs) Because if you didn't value it, it wouldn't be a part of your agenda. So God's got to ask you to let go of something you've been holding on to. And we don't do that very well. We don't do that well at all. But if you want to do his will, Lord, show me my agenda. Show me my hidden agendas. 
Have you ever been in a workplace where somebody had a hidden agenda? That's eh, not a whole lot of fun, is it? I think sometimes we have hidden agendas where God's concerned. And they're not hidden to him. They're hidden to us. And he'll show them to us if we're serious when we ask. Let God align your agenda. And a lot of the pain will go away. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, it is very easy to pray, Thy will be done. It's easy to say, Lord, I want to know your will. It's quite another to do it. Because it means some of our agenda has to go so that your agenda can come. It means our politics might change, our economies might change, our friendships might change, our habits might change, our use of money might change, our use of time might change. And like Peter, we don't much care for change. So, Father, thank you for being patient with us. And thank you for the promise that having started something good in us, you're going to see it through. But, Lord, help us to be cooperative in that undertaking. Help us to have eyes to see our personal agendas and hearts to embrace your agenda so that we can be all that you want us to be in this broken world. And we pray that for your honor and for the sake of people who need us to be all that we were meant to be. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.